Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll chat with a friend whom I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8:28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll share writing and publishing questions from our listeners. However, once in a while, I'll offer bonus content, a special interview that's out of the norm for the format of our show, and today is one of those days. So let's get started. Well, we are here today on the All Things Podcast with a special friend that I actually met at the Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference, and she has more recently been with us at our uh, She Writes for Him Boot Camp and our conference, and her name is Kimberly Arigi, and she has just an amazing Romans 828 story. So, Kimberly, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us Thank today. Thank you for having me. You bet. So, you know, you shared your Romans 828 story with me um, as a part of the boot camp. And I was just so taken with just God's goodness at how he did so much. I mean, and we all have multiple times in our lives where God uses and works all things together for good, even hard things. And this is such a great example of that. So I would just love for you to just share that story with our listeners so they can just understand how God worked even in the midst of what seemed like a real, I mean, it was a huge loss, but how God worked. Um, well, I guess as, as you're describing uh, my story, I just want to say that the house, we, we had this beautiful two-story house in what I always called the trees um, in mm. Paradise, California. We bought it back in the 90s, and it was our hope to move there and, you know, sort of do an early tryout retirement move up there. Uh, my husband would relocate his job. We had it all figured out. Unfortunately, there was a recession at the same time that just seemed to worsen as time went on. Um, but I was able to live there. And uh, for a time, I was serving in a church as a women's ministry director and also the pastor's assistant. And um, so there just a number of things happened. And during those times, you can never say what the Lord will do tomorrow. Like the scripture says, don't say in a year, we'll go here in a year, we'll go there. Mm -hmm. But as the Lord mm -hmm. wills, we'll do that. And so uh, the place was surrounded by trees, which was my, my favorite thing about it. Um, I remembered scripture that talked about how, the trees clap their hands and rejoicing over God's existence mm. and, and praising him. 
And when I first moved there, that was something I could hear above me. And it was unusual for me. I was, I was, uh, had spent years and years in the Bay Area. So to be up there in the mountaintop and, and hear those trees clap their hands, it was always uh, just a memory for me to picture that. Um, at the time of the Butte County fire, the campfire, actually, they called it, um, I was down in the Bay Area staying at my mother's house, my mom and dad's. My father had been ill for a very long time. And with uh, just uh, everything that could go wrong with any major body part, uh, my dad had. And he was just this mm. little tiny guy that you wondered how he ever survived um, his life. He was a, a, a basically uh, raised by a foster family and and um, just this little tiny guy. And uh, but God had put himself in my dad's heart at a very young age and he was a man of faith when he got really really ill um where everything started going wrong he just used it to praise god and every time he'd go to the hospital he would just tell people of the goodness of god so when he mm. was uh very ill and they had gone on to hospice i immediately just moved in over there and um just helped out. I took over the job as his nurse and was with him all the time. My sister stepped in for a small period of time that was immensely helpful. And we sort of tag teamed. Um, but at any rate, I was there and my dad's uh, diseases, I would say plural, had progressed to the point where he was no longer eating and he was in a position now where he was clearly dying, and we knew that. Um, and we just had a lot going on. And I had been getting these weird email or uh, text messages from PG&E over since the day before the fire. And it was just basically saying there's get, there may be a power outage in your area. And um, hmm. I thought, well, okay, you guys are starting to... Every, I would get that alarming feeling because you hear that sound is odd. and But they just were saying that I may experience a power outage. There was nothing mentioned at that time at all about any fires or anything like that. So I kind of ignored it, looking at what was the most important at the time. And um, so anyway, the following day, I was still getting those messages in the morning, but my dad's condition had worsened and we knew that we were getting to the point where we were really nearing the end of life. And, and we had hospice nurses coming and they had given me uh, the prescription that they wait to give, which is the more strong drugs. And, um, and so I had gone and made sure that I had those in stock, waiting for the time when it would be right to give him those. And so I was all set to go on that. And and at one point, my husband came in from work. I was surprised to see him. And he had come in to, and was on the phone. I was sort of in and out of my dad's sick room, which was the family room at the time. And um, my mom has this giant television that was just on like 20, just like 24-7, super loud. 
And um, mm. she was watching her shows and doing what she did in between. And, and I, my husband came in and I was dealing with my father, um, cleaning him. I was just checking and monitoring him at that time. And I could hear my husband in the kitchen and he was talking very kind of just loud and just real excited. And I, I listened, wondering if something had gone wrong on the job. And I discovered that he was talking to friends. People were calling him from all over, from Butte County, from San Jose, from all over the place, uh, telling him that our house was on fire. And I was, mm. so he was yelling at me to turn on the television. And I did. And I looked and, and there was this in, you know, in this giant screen, I was seeing the side of uh, the hill on fire, trying to make some sense out of it. It turned out to be the very hill where our home was. And it was just burning mm. down. You couldn't see anything. I was, you couldn't discern anything. It was just going up right. in flames. And um, so uh, to make a long story short, that was what was happening. Our house was on fire along with the homes of friends and family and the whole town of Paradise, which after when I went up to see the place afterwards, I, I couldn't even recognize it and actually went past my property because I didn't recognize the entrance to it. It was gone. There was nothing mm. except uh, uh automobiles and trucks and things that that just looked like something out of a war zone um so i was with my girlfriend thankfully who was actually in my story that i wrote for you um that's going to be in my book that will be coming out um pastor bob scott his wife denise was with me she just asked me if i would like her to accompany me up there. I had taken a trip by myself two weeks after the fire and I was able to go up with her. We had to wear a uh, garb that would cover us from any kinds of um, carcinogenic, you know, materials that were left. So I was wearing mm -hmm. this space suit with these weird, I just had Walmart bags on my feet because I didn't have anything else and walking around the property. And when I don't know what I expected when I got out to look, but it was gone. It was just, I thought I would see a structure that was burned, but it was actually missing. Right. And I was mm. um, just stunned mm. to see what I saw. And um, actually, mm. I said two weeks be after the fire, but it was actually more like a month. I had gone up there two weeks after with my husband, um, but we couldn't do anything. And we just sat there and never left. We were staying at a another property and we couldn't really leave because the smoke was so thick. Um, it was just more like a wake <laughs> for us at that time. Oh. So anyway, going right. up to the property uh, later, I was by myself which was a blessing because I had time to really um, let it sink in and see what, you know, meditate on what I had seen. I walked around mm -hmm. the property and my girlfriend was so sweet. She just sort of left me alone. And I began to, after just staring at things and not really, I was in shock. 
I begin to see things on the ground that I didn't see at first. There were areas I couldn't walk in because I knew, I thought I'm going to sink down into what was the basement. I wasn't, I just didn't want to go there. But I began to see things out in the yard that had survived. They were things that were made of metal or clay. Things that, as I remembered what the scripture says, that that uh, whatever that we are, when the Lord receives us, that is tried by fire and stands, mm. those are the things that are going to remain. Mm. Everything else, the scripture says, mm. is going to be burned up. And as right. I looked, I realized, wow, these were little uh, art. I don't even know what you'd call relics of the past that had been tried by fire and only what was made of the right materials. And I know the, the word talks about it being of silver and gold, but for mm -hmm. my thoughts, it was iron and it was clay. And I thought how we are called mm. clay pots. Jeremiah talks about mm -hmm. that. And we were, you know, being tried mm. by fire, these items, these little, uh, pictures that held once held water they once held something of substance nothing um, had remained of them except their shells but they were mm. fired and they they stood the test and so I picked right. up these little items and I brought them back with me and they were filthy dirty and I took them back to this place I was staying and I washed them and I cut my fingers on the glass because there was glass and metal. And I found oh. images inside the glass that were melted together with the glass, charred wood, metal, nails, mm -hmm. these kinds of things that I, they spoke to me. And they spoke to me, mm. even the imprints on the clay pots, you could see flowers inside them, things that had attached themselves mm. that had made it through that were beautiful mm. to me. So I took those things and when I washed them, I actually turned them into little bits of art that sit on my tables and they wow. speak of those things. And one of my favorite ones is of this piece of glass that just melted. And it wasn't the pretty ones. There were a few that were actually quite lovely. This particular one was looked dirty. It looked yellowed from the soot. And it had bits of black all inside it. But it had a piece of, I guess it was like a brad, like a large nail that had been you know stapled maybe the molding to the wall and it looked it was like a kickstand at the bottom of this piece and then on the other side was a nail that sat just bent enough that it when you set the piece up it stayed because it had a stand and the mm. top of that piece was clear except for the sooty color, the gold sort of amber color that was in it. And I put it, mm -hmm. a candle behind it. 
and I lit it. It was, um, and it made the whole piece glow with all of its impurities. Mm. And I set it on my bookshelf next to one of a little devotional I had bought my husband with Winston Churchill's quote, never, never, never give up. And that's Mm. one of my favorite pictures. Um, uh, I, I took a photo of it and I put it on my Facebook page and it's one of my favorite pictures of all. Um, so I just, I just want to say that even through that, and it's been tough times, heartbreaking times, but God has showed himself strong Mm. through it. And the rebuilding process is different than I would have ever thought it would have been. And that's another story, but it just shows, it just showed me how God had taken and made beauty for ashes and what could have been an absolute Mm. devastation for so many. They were broken by the fire and by the process. Right. And those that I've met that had faith in Christ and in his Mm -hmm. perfect work for Mm -hmm. their lives and in the scriptures themselves, those are the people that I found through Facebook pages, uh, Paradise Rants and Raves, this page that I follow, those people have found a place to put all the hurt and all the pain and all the devastation because each one of them has a story to tell about how God made beauty for ashes in their lives at a time when they literally lost everything. And my, my father passed away the day after the fire, but I didn't leave. I stayed Mm. where I was and I, I was there with him. And as he passed away, I saw the beauty and I saw the real life story of a life that was sold out for him. And it was like, Mm. that's why I said in my story that my dad was catching on fire. He was going up in flames right Mm. before my eyes. But what was left wasn't the body that he left behind, but it was a story and the life of a man that's in heaven with the Lord now, tried by fire at the very, very last. And... I mm. trust that he's with Jesus today, refined and purified and at, come out as pure gold before God. Mm. Amen. And how, you know, how God can give us that kind of affirmation all around us when, when we're in the middle of utter devastation and loss, how he can use even your dad's passing, all the things that you found that represented his goodness and his beauty. I just, I love how God, that is the faithfulness of God. And I just love that. So, so let's do this wrapping up. If you can just take a minute and give our listeners just a thought that you want to leave them with to help them focus on even in the hard times, God is working all well, things together. Isaiah for good. 61 3 says, 
to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly, for being with us today. And once you are done with your book and it's all in print, we're going to have you back for a full show. But it's just been an, uh, a delight to have you on thank today. You. Thank you so much. Thank you much. for the time, Athena. Amen. All right. We are back for another bonus segment of the All Things Podcast with another boot camp um, attendee who has the most incredible Romans 828 story. So I would like to introduce you all to April Catherman Redgrave, who I'm telling you, buckle up, buttercup, you are going to love the redemption of and just how God never wastes our pain. So April, welcome to the All Things Podcast. And just share with us your Romans 828 story. Well, hi, thank you for having me. So I'm just going to start with saying that um, I'll start with the day. It was just June 14th, 2016, started as a typical day for my family. I was an elementary school teacher at the time, so school was out for summer officially for my children and I. I have two boys. At the time, they were 10 and 8, and my husband, Mike, was a San Jose police officer on the motors unit, and he was getting ready to head to work that day. And, you know, we had breakfast. He had a late morning shift, which was not normal. Um, usually he was gone before we woke up, but we were able to eat breakfast together. And, you know, he hugged and kissed us by. He always told the boys, be good for your mom. That was just the thing he always said, whether it was on the phone or when he left them with me alone. And he drove off on his police motorcycle into work and the boys and I went about our day. So they, you know, played in the backyard and we lived on a little, um, farmhouse out in the country that we had recently bought that we were remodeling and just our little dream home and life was what I call it perfect to me at the time mm -hmm. and as the day went on you know Mike and I would text throughout the day like we always did but at around three or four in the afternoon I stopped hearing from him that was pretty typical just because he was either on a call or um, on the motorcycle and just couldn't answer my text or my phone calls but, you know, I had this feeling that something wasn't right. And sure enough, later that afternoon, kind of like the scene from the movies, police cars pulled up, the black, black unmarked cars pulled up. And my worst nightmare as a law enforcement wife had come true that evening that Mike was killed in the line of duty. Mm. So I... When I saw them pull up, I knew pretty much what was happening. I thought to myself he was in a motorcycle accident. I never thought that he was gone. So I didn't say anything to my children. I just left them in the backyard playing. And soon enough, they let me, they took me to the hospital. Now it was, you know, police chief, mayor of San Jose, city officials, command staff, um, one of Mike's best friends who was on the police force with him um, and his wife, 
so his wife stayed with my boys and I just said, you know, mom's going to be right back. They had no clue where I was going. And I got to go to the hospital and, and see him. And basically that whole week was, um, a blur, Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden I went from being Mike's wife to having to be the widow of officer Catherman. Mm -hmm. And that whole week was a whirlwind of media and um, trying to plan a memorial service for my husband. But this was a memorial service that I was planning for thousands of people to attend, to be live on TV, for officers all over the country to attend. Um, My goal the whole entire time with some pushback was to make this Christ-centered. And not about Mike as a police officer, but Mike as an amazing Christian, godly husband and dad. And that's what we did. So if you fast forward, of course, those months after were awful. Um, Luckily, I had my parents and my support system there to help me with the boys because I was a mess, as you can imagine. Depression. Um, couldn't eat the whole thing, whole nine yards. But about six months after Mike was killed, it was January and January of 2017, we had just these awful winter storms. And one night the boys and I woke up to about three feet of water inside of our house and about five feet of water outside of our house. There was no way in, there was no way out. Our home had completely flooded. A levee near our property had broke. And we were stuck. So ended up that the fire department had to drive a boat down our country road that was now a lake and um, get us out through the window. So they took us on our backs. They got in through the window and we were standing on the kitchen table because, you know, knee deep in water and got us out. So I had just gone through my worst nightmare of losing my husband. Now alone with just me and my children, we lost our home. Mm. It ended up being deemed uninhabitable, uninhabitable by um, the county, red tagged. We could not live in it. So, of course, my belongings, I mean, Mike's stuff, everything was was gone. Mm. And we ended up had a friend's house, then in a hotel, then in a one-bedroom apartment. And finally, we were able to secure a rental house. And by this time, I mean, all of that dealing with the flood and the insurance and everything was probably another almost six months. So here we are, a year from my husband being killed. I'm dealing with the flood of our home. But I'm still the widow of Officer Catherman this whole entire time, attending memorials throughout the country. I mean, we had to go to Washington, D.C., Sacramento, you know. So all this stuff is just a whirlwind, never really getting time to grieve that I lost my best friend. You know, I'm having to be this poised, um, put-together widow and then trying to be strong for my children. And I was just, I was done. Um. I have to say, though, God never, ever left us during this time. You know, going through that, you don't understand any of it. Why is this happening? Um, But luckily, I was raised in a Christian home and had 
still have the most amazing supportive parents that I knew that even though I didn't understand what God was doing, he had a plan. He had a perfect plan for my children and I. And about, I would say, a year and a half after losing Mike, I was still, I was still going through a lot. And my boys were too. I had one that was dealing with major anger issues from losing his dad and the other one that was just an emotional mess, kind of like I was. It got to the point where I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And one day I was visiting Mike at the cemetery, which is what I did almost daily at that point. I was still there, if not daily, a couple times a week. And I was just sitting there pretty much sobbing on the grass at the cemetery and out loud, I verbally said, Mike, you have to do something. You have to send me someone. God, you have to do something. You have to make the boys and I happy again. And at that point, I wasn't really looking for a love per se, you know, someone to come in and, and, um, you know, to, to marry or to really be the boy's father. I just knew I needed help. I needed something. Mm -hmm. I needed Mike, God to send me something. I couldn't do it anymore. I could not do this life anymore. It was too much, but I knew I had to be strong for my children. And two weeks later I met who I call my husband on earth, David. Mm. Mm. And it was the, the most, I want to say God sent moment. We happened to have mutual friends. We met and within about a week, and it sounds crazy. I knew that this is who God had sent to me. This is who Mm. Mike had approved, had sent to the boys and I, to make us happy again, to be their dad on earth, to be my husband on earth. And we ended up getting married. David has a son and a daughter. So now I get to be a bonus mom to mm. a son and a daughter. Um, I always dreamed of having a little girl. And unfortunately, Mike and I didn't get that opportunity to try, you know, to have another child. And so I got my little girl who at the time she was five. When David and mm. I met, and I love those two like my own. So I instantly got to be a four-kid mom. One of the coolest things is I get to be married to a man who allows me to still love Mike. And mm. allows me to have the father of, the father in heaven, I should say, of my boys still in our lives. And... We knew that David and I wanted to have, you know, a child of our own. And when that, when it came time to try for that, I was told I can't have any more kids. The doctor said I have less than a 5% chance of even IVF working. And so, you know, it was just kind of like setback after setback. But with all that God had brought me through, I was going to go for it. Because you know what? My God is big. And he has brought Mm -hmm. me through so much. We decided to go through the IVF process. It was successful. And in December, we had our miracle little girl. Savannah Faith, which obviously you know why we named her middle name Faith. Yeah. And she is our miracle little girl that kind of tied our blended family together. Um, Mm. 
But this whole time, you know, I call David, my husband on earth, and I have my husband in heaven. And I get to love both men still. And that's because God prepared David's heart to be okay with that. Not be threatened. Not be threatened at all. And, Mm. you know, he will never take the place of my boy's children. I mean, I'm sorry, my boy's father. And David's going to be the first one to tell you that. But now my boys have this dad on earth that can, that Mm. can continue where Mike left off. And I feel that through and literally through hell and high water, God has brought us so far. My boys are doing amazing. You know, Mm. they were 10 and eight when their dad died and they just turned 14 and 12. We've come a long way, definitely. And it's not easy. You know, we are coming up on June 14th, which is called end of watch. And that is the anniversary of when a police officer is killed in the line of duty. And of course, with everything that's going on in the world right now, um, currently there's, there's a lot of focus on that in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I'm so happy. I'm so blessed, but it's still hard. You know, we, we still have this loss. Um, right but we also have God to help fill that void and that loss in a way that I never, ever would have thought imaginable ever. Mm. Wow. What, uh, what it just, you know, the bittersweetness of it all is just profound. And if you could leave a thought to ponder for our women that are listening today, what would that be? You know, there's going to be things that we go through in life, but like I feel like I said, we don't understand why. I will always question why. Until I meet God face to face in Jesus, I will want to know why. And I will never understand why, but I know God had a plan and his plan was perfect for me. So when you are going through those times in your life, and it could it doesn't have to be losing a spouse. It doesn't have to be even losing a loved one. It could be losing a job. That's hard. It could be, um, you know, stuck in our house for quarantine. It could really be anything struggles in your marriage. It could be struggles with your children. Um, we don't understand why these things happen, but God has a plan. He has a reason Mm -hmm. for it. And if we just follow him, And look for him to bring us through that tunnel. He's the light at the end of that tunnel. And eventually that why, 100%, we'll probably will never know. But little tiny glimpses of that light are going to come. And we're going to be like, God, okay, I get get it. I get a little bit of that. I get a little bit of why here. And I am always going to struggle with the fact that I now have I have this great, happy life, but it came with a cost. Right. And that's going to be something I'm going to have to wrestle with. And I'm sure other people will too. Um, But the people that I can reach through Mike's, through really God's story, but through Mike's life and Mm. um, being able to honor him, being able to reach other people, sharing this story, you know, um, 
But I think what I would have to say to others is just be patient with God's plan and know Mm. that as much as we don't get it, his plan is perfect for us. Amen. He is sovereign. Well, it's been a delight to have you on today. I can't wait to have you back on later when your book is done and we can go through a whole full interview. But thank you so much just for sharing your story with us today. It's just been a delight. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right. Well, we have another She Writes for Him boot camp uh, member that... We are going to hear her amazing Romans 8.28 story from today. You're going to meet Lori Moss. She is the author of a blog site titled Simply Put by Lori. She writes poems and children's stories for her grandchildren and is currently working on her memoir. So Lori, welcome to the All Things Podcast today. Oh, thank you, Athena. It's such an honor to be here. Well, I'll tell you. You know, I've read your, this Romans 820. I mean, we all have lots of Romans 828 stories, but this one is so, so powerful. The one that you wrote for me as part of the boot camp. So I would just like for you to share what God did with you and your mom. And just, wow. I mean, I, I, I just, I was blown away when I first read it. I was blown away again when I reread it. So share it with us. Oh, wow. Well, I, I'd be honored to. Um, I, my mom and I had a real struggle with our relationship for years. Um, she, she had a lot of abuse in her life, and so she didn't know how to be a mom. I recently read Unmothered by um, uh, Phyllis Manthe, and oh my goodness, I related so much to it. But um, at the time that I wrote this story for you, um, what was going on is I, the last time I had spoke with my mom, she was angry that I had called her and she said, if she needed to talk to me, she would call Mm. me. And so I hadn't talked to her in a couple of months and I was busy at my church working with my um, women's ministry. We were putting on this um, big women's retreat. We hadn't had one in years and I was the organizer of it. And someone on the committee had asked me to share my testimony. And I was not happy about that because I really liked my church. I felt like I fit in. Um, and I really didn't want them to know my testimony. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was afraid if they knew who I really was, they really wouldn't want me um, in their church. So um I kind of was struggling with that a little bit. And I had asked a friend if she would pray for me. And she kept assuring me that God was going to give me the right words when it was the right time. And um, days went by and all of a sudden I found myself two days before the event, sitting at my dining room table with my pen in hand, staring at a blank page with a blank mind and not knowing what I was going to say. And um, the phone rang. And I went to my, uh, the caller ID and it was said, mom. And I was shocked because that was back when you had to pay for long distance and she lived in another state. So I knew it had to be something serious if she was calling me. (laughs) And when I answered the phone, I was even more shocked because it wasn't her. It was her live-in boyfriend. And he, it was not even noon. And I could already tell that he had been drinking Mm -hmm. 
And he told me my mom was in the hospital and I needed to get there right away. And I said, well, where is she? And she was down in Illinois. And I said, well, you know what? I, 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 I can't go right now. Um, give me her room number. I'll give her a call. And he said, Laura, you can't call her. She, they just moved her to intensive care. And I said, what intensive care? What do you mean? You, they moved her to intensive care. When did she go into the hospital? And they said, uh, he said, well, she went in two days ago, but my mom didn't want me to know. So I was really frustrated. Called, okay, I called my husband and was whining to him. And when I finally stopped to take a breath, he said, honey, you know you have to go, right? And I promptly hung up with him and started yelling, why can't he be on my side? Why is no one ever on my <laughs> side? And, oh, and then I popped into my head, oh, I can call the hospital. And is, if she's doing good, I can wait till after the event and then I'll go down. <laughs> and I called the hospital and got her nurse. And the nurse told me she couldn't tell me anything because she could only talk to family. And I said, well, I am family. I'm her daughter. And she, I could hear pages rustling. And she said, no, there's no daughter listed. Mm. And I said, you know, perfect. You know, I mean, that's just typical that my name, she doesn't even acknowledge she has a daughter. So she told me, you know, I can't tell you anything, but you really need to come if you can come. Mm. So I hung up the phone. So her boyfriend told me I should go. My husband said I should go. The nurse said I should go. So my last option was to fight with God. So that's <laughs> pretty much what I did is I started wrestling with him and fighting with him and just screaming because um, my mom had taken us when I was three years old to live with her parents and she pretty much, they raised us. So when I became a Christian, I'd always tried to establish a relationship with my mom, but it just, it seemed like it, she just was intent on hurting me. I don't know why and pushing me away. Mm. So I argued with God and I said, you know what? She's never been there for me ever, ever, ever. She's never been there for me. And, and I'm not going to go and I shouldn't have to clean up her mess and I'm not going and you can't make me. <laughs> and then finally, after I'm embarrassed to say about an hour of fighting with him, I finally fell to my knees and I just was exhausted. And I just finally whispered to him, Lord, you know, when I really needed somebody, you sent me my friend Jan and she ministered to me and she loved me and she encouraged me. You just need to send someone like that to mom. <laughs> and he quietly in my spirit, I could sense that he was saying, I am, I'm sending you. Mm. And so then I just told him, Lord, if you want to send me, then you're going to have to let me see her through your eyes. Because when I see her, I see rejection. I see pain. I see humiliation. Um, if you really want me to be that person for her, then you need to let me see her like you see her. And immediately a, a picture of her as a baby popped into my my head. And it was just like, I felt like the Lord was saying, um, this is how I see her before she was abused, before she made bad decisions, before all of this, that's how I see her. Mm. 
And so I got up and I washed my face and um, called my husband and told him I was going to go. And on the way down to Illinois, because it's a few hours away, I um, called my friend and asked her if I could stay with her that night. And um, she asked if she could send her pastor to the hospital. And so I said, of course, and I kind of laughed because my mom didn't like pastors and she didn't like God. So I wondered how that would go. And um, so shortly after I arrived, the pastor came, he introduced himself. And while he was talking with my mom, I started reading the board, you know, where they have like the nurse, who the nurse is, who the doctor is. And I was focused on that while he kept her company. And he asked, he said, so he said, um, did you grow up? Did, were you born here? Did you grow up in this area? And I didn't answer because I thought he was talking to my mom. And when no one said anything, I turned around and he was looking at me and I said, oh, me? And he said, well, yeah, both of you. I want to get to know both of you. And I said, well, I said, I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he looks at my mom and she says, I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. And then he said, did you grow up with any brothers or sisters? And I said, well, I grew up with two younger brothers. And she said, I grew up with two younger brothers. And he kept asking us questions and every question was the same, mm. the same answer. And so I guess I never even realized it. And then all of a sudden the pastor says, wow, he goes, you, you guys are really similar. You're, you're really a lot alike. And I cringed because at that time in my life, I hated it when anyone said I looked like her or talked like her or, or acted like her. I didn't want to be like her. Mm. And, and I, so I really had a hard time with that, but he was really gracious. He prayed before he left. And then um, that night, my mom started getting better. The next day she got better. And then I was headed home. And on my drive home, I started thinking about all the things the pastor said. And I thought, you know, Lord, he's right. He goes, we're the same in so many ways, even in more ways than the pastor knows. We both were born in Minnesota. We both were raised with two younger brothers. We Both of our parents were divorced. We both got pregnant and then got married. We both married abusive men. We both were sexually abused by our fathers and her, her father. Um, we both married a second time to a man who was 6'3", and we're both only five feet. So... <laughs> We had so many similarities. And I said, Lord, what happened? Why are our lives so very different? Our, our beliefs so very different? Why? Why? And then it dawned on me, the only difference was Jesus. That was the only difference. Mm. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I would be just like that. And that was, that was when I realized that was the story I was supposed to share at my church. And that is the story that I shared. And afterwards, um, I had three different ladies come up to me and thank me for sharing this story because they said they were each sexually abused as children and um, the church didn't talk about it. Right. And they really struggled with some things and they really appreciated me sharing that. And I told them, I said, it wasn't me. That was all God. That was all him. And just a quick little note after that, my mom and I, I did care for her and continued to care for her until she passed. Um, and I also was able to care for her boyfriend who had lung cancer 
we brought him home to hospice and I stayed with them till he passed. And then about three months before my mom died, she received Jesus as her savior. And um, that's all, that's all God. That's all him, all him. And he, if, if I, if I wouldn't have wrestled with God, because he always wins, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yes, he does. But if, if I wouldn't have wrestled with him, I'm sure people think I'm sacrilegious or something, but he knows my heart and he knew, knew that was a struggle for me. And he knew there were still wounds that needed to be healed. And he also knew that that, that was the avenue he was going to use to heal those wounds. So, right. wow, that is such a powerful story. So in closing, what would mm-hmm. you say if you wanted the listeners of the All Things Podcast to just ponder one thought what would that be don't be afraid to be honest with God Mm -hmm. because he loves us and he will guide us to our healing even if it doesn't look like the way we thought it should look so just trust him so good that is spot on and he knows what we're thinking anyway so he totally will be honest because he already knows. Right. Wow. Right. Well, this has just been a delight. Thank you so much for being with us today, Laurie. Thank you, Athena. I appreciate your time and I just enjoy you so much. Thank you. Amen. All right. Well, we are back again on the All Things Podcast with another She Writes for Him boot camp attendee who shared with me her Romans 828 story, and I want her to share it with you. So Pam Patton is on the show today. She is an associate pastor, Bible believer, and teacher. Currently, she leads the church's women's ministry, and she recently attended our She Writes for Him boot camp and is working on her very first book. So Pam, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You bet. Well, we, uh, you know, we've all got lots of Romans 828 stories in our life, but I know when I asked you to share one with me, I asked you to share the one that the, you know, the Lord wanted you to highlight. Yes. So I would just love for you to go ahead and share it with us. And then I'll probably interject a few questions as we go along. No, that sounds great. Well, you know, I'll just start with my husband and I, we had actually met um, back when we were just teenagers uh, in our church and our youth group. We um, dated for a little while during, um, before my high school years even, but then during high school, we dated on and off. I actually was engaged by the end of my junior year. And then we were, um, we got married two months after I graduated high school. So we were so young. Um, but we, um, we had initially were going to wait for a while before we had kids, but we were very active in our church. Um, so, so many of the people that was in our young adult Sunday school class already had kids and we decided to go ahead and start our family. So one week before our second anniversary, we had our first uh, son and um, it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy. Um, he was born a month early. We, I went in for my eighth month checkup and um, t- the uh, doctor, because I had high blood pressure and a few other things, um, went ahead and had me um, 
two days later, I went in on a Saturday and on Monday, they took him by a C-section. So um, pretty uneventful though, pregnancy, no problems with that, except for that um, he was just a month early. But the doctor came in and he said, well, he truly shows shine, signs of being premature, but he said, um, I'm struggling writing nine pounds, two ounces and premature on the same page. Whoa. So <laughs> he said, you know what? He said, um, yeah. through you and me, he was, but, and he said, if and when you choose to have more children, please remind us how big this guy was. So, um, so we took him home, um, didn't seem to have, you know, he seemed to be just be a normal little guy. And, um, but just a few weeks after he was um, home, we started realizing that, um, started noticing that he had some um didn't seem to be focusing the way he should and um his pupils didn't seem to be reacting to light the way they should so we we um went to our pediatrician with our concerns and and um and he had some concerns as well but ask us to just wait for a little bit before we started seeing specialists. Uh, once we went on to to see a specialist, uh, because of how little he was, they needed to put him to sleep um, to do testing. So at four and a half months old, um, we took him in for that. Um, and I remember, I think we kind of had, I felt like kind of a supernatural piece even at that point, not knowing what was going on. But um, the doctor, a female doctor came out and um, while we were in the waiting room and she called us out into the hallway and we could already tell just by her body language, by the look on her face, we, we knew we weren't getting good news and they don't normally pull you out of a waiting room away from other people to give you good mm. news. So we got out into the hallway and, and um, she said a lot of big words and my husband and I's eyes, I think were glazed over and she realized we weren't really getting understanding exactly what she was saying until she said, let me put it this way. She said, if you took an old TV screen and you could, you could take it and only, um, you couldn't make a picture out, but you could only see brightness or dark, light or dark. She said, that's the way we believe your son can see. Um, so I, the only question I could think to ask at the time was, you know, was there anything they could do? And she said, no, nothing that at this time, you know, that they could do. So I just remember us heading home and, um, you know, at that point in my husband and I's life, we were young, we were 20 and 23 years old. We had never even, you know, been around a blind person. And now God was going to be entrusting us to raise this little guy, this precious little guy. Um, so, um, you know, we, of course, we were grounded, we were in our, uh, our faith. And so we had everyone at our church, um, anytime there was any evangelists, anybody that came through, we had anybody and everybody praying for our son. And we 100% believed that God could healing. Of course, I was, you know, trying to negotiate, trying to ask God, you know, it's like, you know what, if you will heal him, whether it's supernaturally or through doctors, we will shout it from the rooftop. So we will give you all the glory. Um, however, we just obviously just desperately wanted our son's eyesight to be restored. Um, but as our son was a toddler, I started um, God, it just, and I kept feeling this and, and, and just felt like God was speaking into my heart that if he didn't heal him, it was because he had a better plan for his life. And I remembered as a mom thinking, I can tell you the better plan. <laughs> the better plan is that his eyesight would be restored and that he'd be able to see like a normal little boy. Um, but as we went on, we um, went on to have two more children. We had another son two years later, Sean. And then four years after that, we had another son. Our youngest son, um, actually later we would, he would be diagnosed um, with Asperger's syndrome. Many people know it better as a high functioning autism, but he's got an amazing story as well, but that obviously that'll be for another time. But um, so fast forward on for Steven though, um, he started uh, ninth grade, his, his high school year. And 
he, you know, that was really a tough year for him. He we really watched him up until this point. He had really done pretty well in school, considering that he was usually the only blind person in his grade, um, sometimes the only blind person in his school. Um, he had done fairly well in school up to this point. But ninth grade, I really think he just started to realize he started to see like his friends starting to get a driver's permit. He started seeing his friends get part time jobs and and doing school sports and we just watched him continue to go to really just go into a deep depression during his ninth grade year. So by the end of his ninth grade year, we had made a decision with him and the school and, and um, teachers, counselors that starting his 10th grade school year that he did attend Missouri School for the Blind. And um, he did. He, you know, he went on to Missouri School for the Blind and it was immediately we could see life coming back into our son. We could he suddenly went from being that student that was having to have other students help him to where now he was that student that he got around really well. He became, you know, just this person that he was able to help stu other students in his, you know, at the school, um, just really built his confidence up, got to participate in sports, and he did really well with that. Um, so by the time he graduated his senior year there, um, at the end of the school year, as we were talking with teachers and, and um, coaches and even one of the principals, uh, the, the main principal there had told us that your son has impacted this school in, in such a way, a positive way that we had, they had never seen another student that had came through the school. Um, you know, he had, by the end of school year, he had, uh, by the end of his senior year, he had won like 37 medals and and other awards and everything at the school but the bigger thing for us it was the impact that the positive impact that the school said he had made he went he's went on to do so many other amazing things but um what we've just seen with him is you know as we've watched his life grow what we didn't know when he was a toddler and and into you know in those early uh, years was um that just god had a uh, a bigger plan for him and it was a plan that it was that we didn't understand at the time, but that, that God absolutely had a bigger and better plan for him. Mm. And to have that kind of, you know, to, to not really know, wow, what, what do we do here? And, and then to watch God take you step by step, walk you step by yes. step through parenting, uh, you know, a child with a disability. Yes. And, and then uh, to have him be such a blessing to others in that new environment when it was when it was time to make that change and, and that that would bring such life to him. And, you know, he would be able to be an instrument yes. and God would be able to use him in that place. I just love that. Well, we absolutely we saw God's grace on it so many times. Um one of the things I've sh I've shared with so many over the years is back when he was a teenager, we'd had a, a another family from our church that their daughter was attending our church, and their daughter had been born deaf, or our son obviously had been born blind. And um, when we were talking to that mom one, I was talking to the mom, and we were just sharing, you know, moms back and forth. Uh, um, and she had told me at one point, she said, you know, my daughter has said many times she's so thankful that she was born deaf and not blind. And I said, oh, that's so interesting because my son has said many times he's so thankful he was born blind and not deaf. And it was really an aha <laughs> moment for me to say, wow, that's just God's grace. That's how good God is, is that he would give that family the grace and that child to deal with being the deafness that they were dealing with. And for our family, that he would give us the grace 
to deal with uh, our son being blind and, you know, even for our other son that deals with autism. So um, it's just, we see God's grace and how good he is that he would give us. And, and when we see other families go through things that we think, how could they ever go through that? Or, you know, that's because God's given them that grace for, for the thing that they're going through. Amen. And that, that is just, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. Yes. God uses all things and works them all together for good yes. for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, you know, how it just, it just is so delightful to just hear the story of, you know, you didn't have a meltdown with God and say, how could you give me, you know, a son who couldn't see, you know, you just took what God gave you and loved your son and, and just wanted what was best for him and, and to just see how God used that. I've told people to bless so many, many people. times. I was just talking to a friend uh, a couple of nights ago that we were talking about something that she's going through and she was, we talked about my son and I said, you know, I said, I won't say, I said, now I said, I think we always trusted God, but I said, I definitely will say we questioned God many times right. throughout the process. But what that does, when we question God, that just is another level of being able to trust yes. him. And so every step of the way, God showed up and did such neat things to, you know, to bless other people and, and grow your faith at the same yes. time. I love that. So if you could just give our listeners one thing to ponder as they walk away from this and think about how God worked in this situation, what would that be? You know, um, probably early on, right after we found out, you know, I was very blessed that we grew up in church and that I knew God's um, didn't know it as well as I know it today. But um, there was a verse back then. And back then, I couldn't have told you where it was at, but it's First uh, Corinthians 10, 13. And um, all I all I could remember at that time was is in my mind is that I'd been told that God wouldn't put more on us than what we could handle. And um, the way that scripture actually reads is it says the temptation. And when you look up temptations in the Greek, it also means test. So you could also read the test um, in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the test to be more than you can stand. When you are tested, he will show you the way out so that you can endure. And when you know, even from the first moment that we found out about our son, it was the first scripture that, that came into my mind. And um, at the time, I just interpreted it as God wouldn't put more on us we, we could handle. But as I, I matured and, and understood is that it was never about what I could handle. It was only what we could go through with God's help. And so it was always about not what we could handle on our own, but that God would be there for us and what we could go through if he was with us. So I don't know how anybody goes through this without having God and, and having the foundation of the word, but I was so thankful um, that, um, you know, I tease my kids all the time that when they were in high school, that you have to study for the test. And I said, the problem is life's a bunch of pop quizzes and we don't know <laughs> when <laughs> something's going to come up that we have to be ready for. So, um, so just thankful for that foundation in the word. Mm, amen. Well, it has been delightful to have you on and, you know, when you get that book, yes. finished, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to have you back on for a full interview and, but this was just delightful to hear the story again and to, and to just be able to 
walk through it with yeah. you. I, I remember the first time I read it as part of the boot camp, I was like, wow. And, you know, just it, I, I do remember that the part about the girl that was was so glad she was deaf and not blind. And, right. <laughs> and how that, that was awesome. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a delight. Well, thank you so much and look forward to the, to when we can meet again. <laughs> Amen. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful, or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.